Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The wait is finally over, and sport is back on Now TV. It's lights out and away we go. Where you can watch Sky Sports, Premier Sports, and BT Sport together, and all without a contract. What a fantastic part! So whether there's a day, week, or whole month of action you just can't miss, you can now stream the lot. Oh, it's a fabulous goal! This is your sport on your terms. Search Now TV Sports to find out more. 18 plus content streamed via internet. Full terms apply. Phil Tiger. Hello Slackers, it is episode 3 of season 3 It's around this time that you start losing count of how many episodes you've done I think I've done like 33 or 34 at this stage Free content, free content for you while you're doing absolutely sweet FA Free content up the yin yang <laughs> That's all you need isn't it I mean I'm going out of my absolute box um, at the moment, so actually having these podcasts to edit is quite a nice uh, respite from being able to sit in the house, fearing for our lives for some sort of killer virus. So yeah, it's nice to have these. I'm going to record a couple uh, of podcasts over Skype as well. So if you have any idea uh, of who you would like to hear on the Slacker podcast, who you would like to have talking about their early demos, their early bits of their career... Um, let me know. Go maybe go to the Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash slacker podcast. You can make some suggestions there. You can follow me on Twitter at Philly Taggart. Um, same again on Instagram, one out in Philly. If you want to donate to the Patreon, that would be absolutely amazing and would go some way to covering the travel costs and the equipment costs that I've I've bought over the last couple of years uh, for the podcast. So if you go to patreon.com forward slash slacker podcast, that would be incredible. Um, This week on the podcast, we have Bombay Bicycle Club Um, at the very start of the year. I think it was like probably the very beginning of February. uh, The lads rolled through Brighton, uh, which is great. It's one of only two uh, podcasts that I've done in Brighton. Three, no, three, two god this is boring <laughs> two podcasts there you go um they were playing in the brighton center and i went down and hung out with them for a little bit recorded the podcast 
went home, got some food, uh, went back down, watched them play, and they were on fire. And it was it was great. It was just such a good show. I haven't seen them in a long time. Uh, so that was really cool. Uh, it was a really good podcast doing it with those guys. And yeah, that's that's pretty much it. You're going to hear a really special demo of Shuffle that they've never let anybody hear before, which is very special. And of course, uh, the no podcast would be complete without sponsor. Today's sponsor is male grooming products i actually have heard that one to be honest well the the manscaping one you're like oh god i think ufc is sponsored by manscaping that's so embarrassing uh my podcast is sponsored by my own book and that's not embarrassing in the slightest um at uh, may last year i wrote a book called the slacker's guide to the music industry and it is a full sort of comprehensive guide to release a music and 2020 and what what that's like and what you need to do and all the various different facets of of being in a band so if you want to buy a present for somebody who plays music or releases music or wants to release music in the future then be my guest go to philtagetslacker.com and you can buy it there you can also buy the ebook which is a little bit cheaper uh or you can find some way to hack into the back of the website and just steal the book for free I mean, if you can do that, then fine. Like, there's no skin on my my nose. It's all good. Um, right, I'm chatting shite now, so I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy out. Uh, this is the brand new episode of the Slacker Podcast. In three, two, one. Here's Bobby. Thank God I get to do a podcast. And an interview in my hometown of Brighton, my adopted hometown of Brighton. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Bombay Bicycle Club. Hello, who have we got? Uh, Ed from Bombay Bicycle Club. Jack from Bombay Bicycle Club. <laughs> we just love saying our name. You, you yeah, do love that's saying how I introduce myself. I would say cons- considering that anybody who's clicked on this already, it says Bombay Bicycle Club. <laughs> <on this, Yeah. laughs> we'll have a good idea of, of who it is that you are. In that case, Ed and Jack from Bombay Bicycle Club. <laughs> Phil from Bombay Bicycle <laughs> Club. Um, what's, what's the crack? How are you doing? Good. We're like uh, halfway into a tour. Um, we've been really busy, but in a good way. I think we all kind of missed each other a lot. And that's why we've, we've come back and done this. And it's fun just hanging out, the four of us again. It's bad. Like when I miss my friends, right? Normally what I will do is like I'll travel back to Belfast or Oma mm. and we'll go to the pub. And then that's enough of them for me <laughs> for <laughs> a couple of months. Yeah. When you guys miss each other, you're like... Let's let's go and hang out together every single day yeah, for right, yeah. forever. <laughs> yeah, but it works somehow. Yeah. Yeah. It's kinda of like family, I guess. Yeah. Like sometimes you're just kind of in each other's company but not really chatting. And it, but that's that's nice as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think people are quite taken aback by that when they come and see us and talk. Because we'll just be sat in a room for hours and hours on end, you know, doing our own thing not making on any, any any conversation and it's completely comfortable for us but really uncomfortable for other people coming into it like they hate it they think we hate each other or we've fallen out or had an argument or something but yeah i think i mean reaching that level of of comfortable silence yeah. is in a relationship like if you're going out mm. with somebody that can be quite difficult like mm. i mean even i've been going out with my wife for like 
you know, eight years. And there's yeah. sometimes we're in the car. I'm like, Jesus Christ, could somebody just fucking say <laughs> <Yeah>. something? <laughs> like, um, so it's feeling good. Like you're 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 back, and we're here on the Slacker Podcast, um, and we start every show the same um, with uh, with a demo of one of your songs, and you guys have provided me with a demo of Shuffle. Yes, let's let's hear a little bit of it. There you go, Bombay Bicycle Club, uh, a demo of Shuffle. So, like, you, you've heard this recently. Yes, but uh, for the first time in, in years. And you just heard it there now. I hadn't heard that for about probably eight or nine years, since before we recorded the actual song. And that album, that album was recorded in 2010 and 11, I think. So, yeah, eight or nine, or ten or ten mm. years or so, yeah. What's the, what's the first thing that comes to your head when you... When you hear that, a very sort of um, very strong memory of playing it to a friend at a house party and then just bursting into laughter <laughs> and saying you're jo- like they thought I was joking because um, I guess we just put out a record that was very much like 
an indie guitar record. Mm. Yeah. And I was being serious. I was like, this is a new demo. What do you think? The, well, they started bursting out laughing. They started laughing. I guess <laughs> just because of the, I don't know, the <laughs> yeah, beat the maybe. Yeah. Um, but in the end, it's kind of, it does sound familiar. I mean, it, it's not too far away from the from the final recording. What was yeah. your, What was your... I mean, if you're sharing a piece of music with friends, mm. they start laughing at it. <laughs> How do you reply I to think that? I, I love that. You guys that. don't fucking get me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think in a way I kind of knew that it was, it was, there was some humor to it. Because I don't think I imagined that to be the final, you know, product with that beat on it. Mm. And I think there was something quite fun about showing people and, and them not believing you, but you knew that it was going to go on the record. Mm. It's quite strange looking back, actually. In retrospect, it, you know, it, it sounds quite Bombay Bicycle Club now when we've made more electronic music. But at the time, as Jack says, we'd made an indie rock record and then an acoustic record, and we'd done nothing like that. So I remember the first time Jack sent it through, I was quite taken aback by it. And, I, you know, it didn't you sound... You didn't start laughing, did you? I didn't. Was <laughs> I the person at the bus? It was you. <laughs> um, no... I mean, I, I was I was surprised by it, and it, it was a new direction. But you know, looking back, it just it seems like it fits in now. Where did you record that demo? Was that like a laptop special? Yeah, that would have been a laptop that I had, um, and that, that's kind of the start of how I ended up making music for the for the next kind of ten years. Was mm. was chopping up pieces of music that were already on my hard drive rather than I'm just very lazy basically my whole <laughs> songwriting process is 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 characterized by um incredible laziness so rather than maybe the, as somebody who's put out like <laughs> as many albums as you have with Bombay Bicycle Club and Solo <laughs> I can't really level laziness at you like I but can't. in the room I mean you know like when I'm there the bass might be on the other side of the room but on the hard drive there's already a sound that I could work with and I'll choose that it's like if you've got two options, you'll always pick the easiest one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the cool thing is it, it leads to to lots of creativity and and um, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Was there a specific moment that like you decided, this role in piano? Like, like how do you come up with that? <laughs> because obviously if it's something so weird, are you sitting at a piano and you're just playing it over and over again and you're just like, wow, that'll make a good loop? So the original loop is very different, and that's just spliced up. I think I was very influenced by the software I was using that mm. cut things up into. What very, was that? There's Fruity Loops. Oh wow! Like, a, like lot, a, a lot of the like early grime music and yeah, stuff was exactly. made. A lot of early dance music was made on Fruity Loops. Uh, they're all like cracked copies of Fruity Loops. Yeah. Um, do you still use it? I do once in a while. Yeah. yeah, it's great. It's just really fast, and so you feed something into it, and it, and it chops it up for you, and then you rearrange it however you want. And I'll just do that until I start nodding my head, and then that's when you know it's kind of a groove, I suppose. What did the the producer sort of do to to make that song any better, or did you produce it fully yourselves? So that it went through a few stages. That one actually, that was mm. the first demo there, and then I think me and Jack had another song that we were making just for fun, and the melody that you wrote for that then became um, the verse melody of Shuffle. So there were mm. kind of two sections with the loop. And then Jack went out to Atlanta to a guy called Ben Allen the Third, um, <laughs> not the fantastic second. name, not the first, um, who'd just done Meriwether Post Pavilion and House in Digest by a Deer Hunter, and did a songwriting session with him. Yeah. And then we went out and we did you know a whole recording session with him. So it's kind of these four different stages, and each 
step of the way, the song kind of changed and became what it is, which everyone knows. Was that the catalyst then to the sort of sonic shift that you had from album to the next album? I think it was... Do you mean Ben Allen, the producer? Because I... Yeah. I think it was more the stuff I was just talking about with the software and that and exploring that and getting to know how to produce on a computer yourself and stepping away from a guitar that was I was too lazy to get out of the cupboard or whatever. And I think that was the driving force. Um, but working with people like Ben, you could... I think you could have extracted songs out of those loops and those those chopped up things because... As we just heard, it's a very repetitive demo. Mm-hmm. And I think Ben came along and helped us shape it into something more cohesive and with more variety and, well, you know, different bass lines. And, yeah, just something to, that, would, that would hold your attention a bit better. Mm. He kind of made it a song, whereas before it was kind of chunks of ideas, but it wasn't cohesive at all. Yeah. Like he really brought it together. And sometimes don't envy producers like that because, like, when if you're like artistic and you're coming to somebody with a load of sketches, yeah, they kind of have to sit there. Like, it's almost mm. like, you know, like a crime scene, like those are crime dramas where they have like <laughs> all the dots and strings yeah, and yeah, like yeah. maps yeah, and yeah. stuff out. I kind of feel like it's a little bit like that being a producer. He's the mad detective, just bringing <clears throat> it all together. Yeah, I Step, mean, yeah, he's fantastic at mm. doing it. He he did it with this song. And with Lunar off the next record, which, you know, mm-hmm. is one of our biggest and best songs, in my opinion. Yeah. And he really brought that in from kind of this weird demo with loads of samples into the song it is itself. Yeah. Same kind of thing. So um, go, going back to the, the sort of the, the very beginning, like your, your band started when you were at, at almost like the perfect age to start a band, really. Mm. So was there like was there much musical genesis in, in, in you before the band or did you kind of all just sort of? happen upon each other and start your musical career then? So when I met Seren and Jamie, we were all at the same school. Um, I'd already been making albums almost. I like made CDs and yeah. I bought some software that could like make album artwork and printed it on CDs and would like hand them to friends at school. Wow, your, your desktop computer must have been flat <laughs> out. <laughs> Windows yeah. XP going nuts. <laughs> Yeah, what, just, what 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 did your music sound like? Um, it was um, I don't how would you well, describe well, it? A lot of it actually that that was the genesis of Bombay Bicycle Club. So a lot of the first album were taken from these demos that Jack was making in his bedroom. Mm. So it sounded like that, but weird with no structure. Basically, <laughs> like we kind of made them songs like we were saying with Ben Allen. So it would be like a snippet of a verse, and then you'd get like a guitar solo for two minutes, and then it would go <laughs> back into another verse, and then it would you know, get all psychedelic and trippy. So it was kind of, it was pretty experimental and weird. Was it purposely freeform or was it like, I just really don't know what I'm doing, so I'm just going to go mad at it? I think it it was, it, it was an excitement at being, I used to just have to, if I wanted to write something, I'd record it with like uh, a dictaphone or something and you'd have to mm. work out what it is before you record it. And to then get a computer and to be able to pause that process and do a little bit and then go and have a cup of tea or something and come back. I just loved that. And I think I was just exploring that and taking advantage of that. So it does meander a lot. I don't feel like much has changed because like when we 
when I walked in here to set everything up um, for this interview, like we're in the Brighton Centre and backstage, you were sitting in the corner on your laptop, yeah. work, work, yeah. working on your computer, working on some baits. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> on on the original software that you used to use as well. Yeah, that's the funny thing is, as well as Fruity Loops, I've been using this program since I was sort of 14 or 15. And when I first got it, it was called Magic Music Maker. And it was very, very basic. <laughs> yeah. It was just like you put some loops on it. But this company, it's this German company, keep they keep like updating it. And now it's this fully fledged, amazing program. Wow. And do, do you remember a piece of software called Guitar Tabs? Guitar e What was it? Guitar Pro. Guitar Pro. That was it. Yeah. So. Where you, you could write all of your songs into it in tablature but it was all through the numbers so like the fifth fret the seventh fret right and and so like you could download guitar pro and it would be like sweet child of mine Mm. and it would show you the tablature of it right right so like that's how i would like learn songs yeah that's how i learned to play guitar and bass just getting all the tabs and and spending hours with the record looking at those numbers yeah me too lots of red hot chili peppers we were just talking about i don't know why everyone must be just a certain age Mm, i think red hot chili peppers is one of those things that like once you hit 18 um you lose all interest in yeah, like yeah. I, I, I absolutely I had all the albums went to see them about four or five mm, times yeah. from 14 till 18 me too and yeah. if yeah. they were playing at my bottom of my garden right now I probably wouldn't even draw the curtains yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone went to that Hyde Park gig did you go to that Hyde Park gig in like 2003 was James Brown supporting I went to James Brown James was supporting, Brown yeah. was supporting it was Hyde Park that's, yeah, the, the, like, that's weird crazy. everyone <laughs> everyone knew went there obviously I guess it was very far away from you but it seemed to be yeah. kind of the epicenter of like red hot chili peppers love it was kind of like Woodstock but for the red hot chili peppers <laughs> and everyone across yeah, we had the, the we, UK we went. had our Slane Castle that was the, uh, I think that was the yeah. same tour I think I had a DVD of that I had week. a DVD of it as well <laughs> nice. I, kept, I kept trying I kept religiously watching the DVD of it trying to see if I could see myself in it like trying to pick a, a five foot 14 year old or 15 year old out of out of 80,000 people is quite difficult I find um what what like speaking of sort of those like bonding moments what were the influences and the bands and stuff that you guys bonded over at the start me and Jamie used to go to gigs a lot together um and there was a guy called Tom Vec who we were obsessed with it's a kind of thing where we'd go to see him support another band and then leave after he played it was that kind of obsession <laughs> we'd just see right. every London gig that yeah. he did um, we'd go to like signings and get stuff signed There's, I think Jamie's still got a, a seven inch that says dear Jamie good luck with the band and that's like when we're 14 <laughs> or 15 so is Tom Vac still playing? I don't he, think so he made like another album follow up to the first one it mm. took in 10 years and it just it wasn't quite the same I think he did a remix of one of our songs, which he is did. a dream come true for you guys. Yeah, that was fun. It, yeah. What what was there any any others other than um, the Vacmeister, as I like to call him? <laughs> we <laughs> were listening to a lot too. of um, like American and Canadian bands, whereas I think a lot of people who were kind of in a similar scene to us were. It was it felt very British, mm. um, but we always kind of looked across the pond for influences. Mm. I think broken social, you know, broken social scene. They were always the one we talked about both their sound and the kind of songwriting they were doing that, that was always like a kind of a benchmark for us that era of canadian music was it's was so good was like unbeatable i was mm-hmm. like when when arcade fire were coming yeah, through yeah, yeah, at exactly, the very yeah. beginning all that stuff yeah. the national and were Feist, sort of, yeah yeah feist yeah yeah and I, I yeah like there was there was a great scene in the thing is it didn't probably get as much press over here because the the, the music landscape in in Britain was actually very good. 
Yeah. Um, yeah at yeah. that stage, you had the sort of yourselves and artists like Laura Marling and yeah. uh, Adele and um, Amy Winehouse and yeah, God, yeah. yeah. Like I mean, it was it, it was incredible. Yeah. Like, one thing I was always very jealous about coming from a small town and um, reading the enemy was uh, the underage scene. Because mm, when, when, yeah. you, when you're 14 and... Like, I started putting on gigs when I was 15 simply due to the fact that mm. it was the only place, the only time way I could get to a gig. Sure, sure. And then you look at these thousands of kids in these underage gigs in, yeah. like, and festivals. There was a whole festival, yeah. And you're like, wow, yeah. why can't we have that? It was, it was almost like torture looking yeah, at yeah, it. Yeah, For us, You were heavily involved in that. Though, well, we yeah. were the same age as the people in the audience, mm. and we were struggling to get into shows. I remember being ID'd at our own gigs a lot, yeah. and it's people saying you're not allowed to come in. They'd let you in to play the show and then kick you out again, so yeah. you just weren't in the venue at I've all. seen that happen a lot in South by Southwest, because yeah, yeah, all, yeah. Sure. all the bands that go were under 21. <laughs> you had to borrow your friend's ID yeah. for that trip, didn't you? Yeah. What, what, what was that scene like? Was like were you central to it or were you sort of like you know brought in like we like did you fly the flag was it like a movement that you were a part of i don't we weren't doing it on purpose i think because we were the age of most of the you know most of the people going to the gigs we kind of ended up being a big part of it mm. along with our friends bands you know occasion dance party other ones that because of our age we you know we were just accepted in but you know, most of the other bands we were playing with in the scene were kind of a bit older than us, like Foles and the Maccabees and those ones. Mm. So I think it was more a symptom of our age as opposed to us intentionally trying to do it. It was incredibly fun, though, and, and felt like a real, you know, when there's like a moment in time where everything's happening. Yeah, and very grassroots. Like, mm. it was a lot of our f- school friends organising the shows and, mm. and you know, then the your other friend would be making a poster for the show and it w- it was crazy because like it, it felt like it died as well, like quite quite yeah. quite soon after. Most movements sort of do. I guess it always was. It was always going to because everyone would eventually yeah. get, become eighteen, <laughs> and then yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like, we, we can get into our other gigs now. <laughs> um, I guess it was inherently based on kids not being able to get in gigs, so promoters just you know lowered the age and destroyed the scene. So mm. you know. Yeah, and that anyone could go to any gig they wanted, it's, which is kind of the case now, and that's what the whole point was, I guess, at the beginning we, of it. We um we met our youngest fan the <laughs> other day, and where were we, Cardiff? Yeah, she was, we got this very very sweet handwritten letter from an eight year old girl wow. saying, uh, "My favorite song is Eat Sleep Wake." Mm. You look better bold, which I thought was very cute. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to bring you some muffins or something. And can I please come to see you at Soundcheck because your gig's 14 plus mm. oh. and she came and she put, <laughs> she just put loads of stickers on all of us Seren's drum kit and <laughs> his new his new <laughs> drums workshop drum kit he was very nice about it <laughs> they look great actually she did great sticker they placement they look really good <laughs> <laughs> you just, I'm just imagining Nervosa. Like, for some reason, I'm picturing Laurie David. Yeah, Do you know yeah. what I mean? That music's creeping in in the background. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> um, uh, so, like, the, 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 the first gig, can you remember it? Do you have much of a recollection of that, of that show? The very first gig is in front of our school, and it's just the three of us. So Ed isn't, isn't um, in the band at around. this point. Um, we're playing Sissy Strut by The Meters, which is this sort of classic 70s funk mm. tune, which looking back is a strange choice. Um, I think a lot of our early gigs were, were at school. I think 
one of the first shows our manager, who's here today, still managing us, came to was like a, a battle of the bands. Oh, I love those. Mm. I've done those. Yeah. I've won two of them. Yeah. Oh, we never won them. We never won. <laughs> like um, the juggler. Like when the, ro- the road to V. Oh, uh, that was a battle of the bands. Yeah, yeah. We did win that. That's one. a pretty big one. I guess that's a pretty. Big <laughs> I mean, one. I won. A, I won an Easter egg for winning one of them and then one £500 recording time for another playing Pretty good. playing the main stage <laughs> <in> me is <laughs> yeah. kind of a bit better but yeah so like the, the, the first gigs like at school I think that playing at school is almost more nerve wracking than playing in front of mm. people because like if you fuck up you have to like spend all mm. your time with these people at yeah the next day every given point show up again there were some terrible bands playing we so you know we kind of slipped under the radar a bit. There were some, there were some other really bad ones. I just Funk think bands, it's actually. I think it's yeah. so funny imagining our manager there. He must have been what thirty at the time. Yeah, he seemed like this older guy, and we're like, who's this like, old man? Everyone else gig? in the crowd is like crowd surfing, <laughs> how and, did like, he, punching each other. How did he know if you guys to like be at like your school battle of the bands? Um, he uh, he was he was at a company, at, at, and Jamie's. Uncle? Jamie, I think it's Jamie's mum's cousin. Right. Um, worked at this company and was mm-hmm. and heard the demos Jack was making and yeah. the band was making at the time. And was like, I think there's something here. He managed the stereophonics and still does manage the stereophonics. Yeah. And it's like mm-hmm. this, you know. Let's see. Let's see what happens to this. So Jason, our manager, moved to the UK and he was like, "Can you just like go check him out? You know, see if they need anything, see if they need any help." And that's how the relationship started. And it's lasted 16 years now. No, that's, 15 years now. That's crazy. Yeah. Mm. You're the first band I've ever heard of that's got signed from school. Like, yeah. from yeah. actual literal school. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was very casual for a long time, and then we left school and, you know, it became something else. Mm. You, you must have had quite a understanding principal and, and, and parents, right? Because, like, you, a lot of it had kicked off. Yeah. Um, before you had actually left secondary school, like I think the debut album came out just as you were leaving maybe yeah, secondary yeah. school. But like, how did you get around that? Like, were you having to play hooky a lot? I just remember my jazz. I was I had a teacher who taught me jazz bass, and he was really really upset. But everyone else was cool. <laughs> but he just he was like couldn't be consoled. You're not going to make anything with this old indie music. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's literally that um, <laughs> through a plume of smoke. But no, the school was was cool. Um, uh, there were lots of bands coming through that school. Like we mentioned earlier, Cajun Dance Party. Mm. And um, there's a guy called Friars. Who, mm. um, I know Friars, yeah. Who, went, who was at the, in the year above us. and Yeah, they were really um, supportive, actually. Um, how, uh, did it, it moved quite fast, though, didn't it, really? Like, uh, like, for you guys, were you prepared for the sort, of, the, the sort of speed of things? Like, there wasn't much room for growing pains. Mm-hmm. With you, you kind of like sort of thrust into it. I think looking back now, I'm kind of glad at the speed it it was going at because when you have all the time in the world, you end up just going back and changing things and it's, with music mm. anyway, with making yeah, records. Yeah, and there's obviously so many things that I think we change about either the sound of the first record or. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You know, little things here and there, but in a way that's just how it was then and, and it should be precious and you shouldn't be able to go and tweak things. And when we, when we did our fourth album, we did it ourselves and we had no timetable or no deadline and it does just kind of get to a stage where you're creating problems that don't even mm. exist and you're just kind of going around in circles yeah like does the timpani sound right on this <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> like we've been listening to it for eight hours yes it sounds fucking okay all right um do you remember your first like the first time you played on the radio i i remember driving i was driving my mum's toyota ego with jack in it and I remember oh, yeah. hearing it on XFM, the song How Are You? I think that might be the first time I heard it. Mm. We stopped the car and pulled over to the side, started listening to it really loud. And I think something like Jamie walked past and he was like, what are you guys doing? Just <laughs> yeah. like sitting in this car listening to the song. <laughs> I think that's one of the first times I heard it. I remember that very clearly. <laughs> yeah, I think, think it's a... I just, from, from being in a band and working on the radio, I know that it's always kind of a special moment when you actually hear your song picked to be played on the radio because that means that somebody mm. has gone oh this is really good we should yeah, play it on yeah. the radio yeah yeah it was always people like Hugh Stevens and John Kennedy yeah. really like helping us out they were fantastic the OGs yeah. seems like now, absolutely nowadays the only time I hear our music out is when I'm like trying to sneakily like get <clears throat> a McDonald's or something <laughs> and like, I'm looking over my shoulder being like alright no one's going to see me and I sit down and suddenly like spotlights it's like without fail that happens every time have you ever have you ever walked into like a, a pub or a nightclub or somewhere where they play music and as soon as somebody has noticed you they've put your music on? That happens on? a lot. And you look around like squinting and have seeing, they done it on purpose? Like trying to find out the bar the bartender. Do you stay or do you go? I've seen I've seen heard of people just like literally just, just turn around and walk off. I'll stay, I'll tap my foot and Yeah. I was buying a record player once and he there was like this demo room. We went into the demo room so I could listen to it. The guy put on work, lights like words gone, and I thought he did it on purpose. So I said, "Ah, oh, this is my band," <laughs> and he went bright red and froze. And then he turned around and walked out the room. <laughs> so it's just me left in the room listening to the song, and he was he was so, just mortified. It was really so weird. For, sorry for him. It's cool that they're demoing audio. For yeah, no, yeah, that, that is pretty good. I was in the 
I was in the Dole office once and um, I was signing on and I was about 20 or 21 and my band's song was playlisted on a local no like way. commercial station and it came on as I was signing <laughs> on and I was like I don't know whether to laugh or cry <laughs> at the irony that of is this. Very cinematic. <laughs> yeah, it really yeah. was. Like you, you, it's it's moments like that you understand, you realize why they bolt the chairs down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh my god, what is going on in my life? Um, when you were when you were at that sort of third of stage, like you know, eighteen, releasing debut album and stuff. Like, how long did you think that the band would last for? Did you think that you were going to be like the Stones, or did you think you were going to sort of burn out or fade away? We all had places to go to university. So we, we took a year out yeah. and we were like, we'll do an album. We've got this opportunity to do that. But realistically, these things don't really work out. So uh-huh. all of us had a, a deferred place to go to university. And then it's going better and you're like, okay, I, you know, maybe I'll do that another time. And you kind of realise actually that it's going well and that perhaps you can kind of make something of this. But Is it still deferred? <laughs> well, Jamie actually did go to university. <laughs> he took it up. Um, can you remember what 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 like you had deferred, like where you were going to go or what you were going to study? Yeah, I was going to go to Manchester to do French, which I'd still like to do one day, to be honest. And you were going uh, to? I was going to Manchester. No better place also. to st- study French than Manchester. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the accent is beautiful. Just we are kid. I always like loved that sort of mid two thousands indie scene. It, it, I had this idea when when I was um, a kid that if you were like signed to a record label, that, the, that there was like a common room in the record label, and all the bands would like hang out there and like jam together and stuff. It was almost like Saved by the Bell, but with like with with, with musicians and instruments. I, I was very crushed when I found out that wasn't the case. But there there was a very good good scene around that time, and there was a lot of people coming up around the same time. There was, yeah. I think we felt so much younger than everyone that mm. and we were you know apart from all that quite um socially awkward so we'd kind of be the band just sitting in the corner just to, to speaking with ourselves not really socializing at these things and same with the label i think they were quite bemused by us <laughs> because they're used to bands that have a lot of energy and enthusiasm yeah. and excitement that they're being signed or that they're being taken out by a label and we were so just kind of nonplussed mm. about everything and probably quite stoned at the time. Yeah, I couldn't really just socialise with people. You know, when you're a really awkward, like, young teenager and then you're kind of thrust into these situations with people who have actual influence and you're, like, favourite bands and I just, I didn't know what to say to them. Mm. You're just like, yeah, it's really intimidating. I think, like, yeah, I mean, the, the music industry... Like it, it almost like you know, like it, it, you get these A and R people and these these industry people who are in their thirties and forties and fifties yeah. trying mm. to trying to connect to people who are teenagers and yeah. there's a there's a social disconnect with that, sure. even without like putting the promise of dreams and ambition in yeah. there. Yeah. Be- before you signed to Ireland, did you have a lot of that sort of courting process of uh, people coming up to you and offering you your wildest desires to sign to their labels? I don't think there was, you know, you look back and you're like, uh, people kind of thought you'd do well, but there weren't that many offers on the table. Mm. I think, again, it's only in retrospect that you look back and people are like, yeah, I thought you guys would do well. This island really took a huge kind of punt on us at the time. Mm. Um, And, yeah, we weren't massively courted by anyone else. It wasn't like being taken out for big 
like dinners or drinks or anything yeah. like that. Mm. It's kind of it was darkest bees. Who's uh, like yeah. Yeah. now the head honcho worldwide? I think at, at, at yeah. Ireland. He's a, a a bit of a, a legend when it comes to sort of spotting talent. Yeah, he's sure. an absolute yeah. legend. What was it like? He's kind of the perfect example of the two <laughs> polar opposite ends of the enthusiasm spectrum. Right. It's Darkest Bees and Bombay Bicycle Club. <laughs> so he'd come into the studio, just this massive tornado of energy. Yeah. Be like, all right, play it to me. And he'd be on the sofa, like, rocking out. And we'd just be there, like, yeah, yeah, we think it's cool too. Yeah. Glad you like Darkest. Yeah. <laughs> I must do some people's head in as well. Like, cause, like, he didn't know what to do. Yeah. yeah. So, like, you're awkward because you're quite young, and he's awkward because he's like, well, like, show some fucking enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think he's used to people really sort of joining in, and yeah, we mm. weren't having any of it. <laughs> but obviously, <laughs> obviously, it's a a relationship that's lasted the the test of time. Totally, yeah. yeah. I've got a lot of love for Darkus. We can actually talk to him normally as adults now. It's it's somewhat changed. <laughs> we don't just sit there anymore. Yeah, he's fantastic. You should really fuck with him. Like, if you if you ever like re- release like new music, right, and he comes to listen to it. Just be really super <laughs> yeah. enthusiastic about it and just be like, this is one of the best things I've ever done in my whole life. <laughs> um, how did you find the sort of process of of recording like a, a debut album? Was it, it, you said it was quite swift, right? It was quite swift. and But there was, it was at the same time definitely a learning curve. Um, we were working with Jim Abyss and he he was the first person to really like sit us down and say, hey, you guys need to practice more because you sound pretty rough. Yeah. And B, it just more generally just like trying to keep us focused mm. um, because we were just kind of messing around and and we had some like collections of songs and ideas, but he'd like ask us what we, we thought of an idea and we'd be like, eh. we'd literally <laughs> just make a noise. And it got to the point where he got kind of angry at us. I was like, guys, do you care about this? And obviously we did. Mm, yeah, yeah, we were just yeah. so weird about the whole process. <laughs> and I think we saw him as like a real authority figure, which is strange because it should be balanced with the producer. It and should artist. be balanced, but maybe mm. you needed it at that stage, right? I think, yeah, because of our age and how much we were like in awe of He wasn't that much yeah. older than you other. Like, like he was only older than you by a couple of years, wasn't it? Jim, Jim, he'd uh, be like 20 years older than us. Yeah. So, oh, bit. shit, right, okay. I'm thinking yeah. of a different Jim Abyss. <laughs> I've obviously been Facebooking the wrong one. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's been making albums for a long time. And I th- that's another thing. Like now, you know, we know our way around the studio and how to do stuff. But at the time, we didn't at all. So just kind of basic things like how to record a guitar, how to do drums, we didn't know. So how do you play do a click track? How to, yeah, all, all of that stuff, well. everything. We really learned through Do you get him. red light fever? Like do you like when you step step up and you've played something like a couple of times in practice and then you have to record it and then you're like I can't get it. Mm. The thing that I, I mean, I think we're okay with that, but it's the people that get get to improvise when the red light comes on is something that blows my no, mind. No, I can't do that. How could you be brave enough to think? Oh, I'm just gonna. It's one of the, it's one of the reasons why I probably stopped playing music. Really, is like mm. I really enjoyed like writing little bass parts and doing my bit in the band. Like I wasn't much of a songwriter, um, but my our guitarist and and uh, principal songwriter was such a great jammer. Yeah, and the drummer yeah, was yeah. such a great jammer as well. And I was just like, I ha- you have to record this for me, and I need to go away yeah. for like two hours. Do you have the tab for it? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I need to, I need to write my bit and come back. Yeah. Like you can stick me in a twelve bar blues jam, and that's about as far as I'll go. Right, yeah, yeah. Mm. But surely, somebody who, who likes jazz as much as you, like you have to learn that, right? 
uh, yeah, I'm still not great at improvising. That's, but I just have so much respect for people that do, and that's why that um, Mr. Jukes project was so fun for me. Finally, getting to work with people like that. Um, but I was kind of the same as you. It's still, I'd like to know what I was doing. And yeah, I think, I think that's good for a bass player. I don't like bass solos. <laughs> and I'll put that out there. When I go to a jazz gig and everyone takes their turn, and yeah, and I'm a bass player, but even so, like watching him solo or her, I'm just a bit like, all right. Let's yeah. get to the drum solo. I get that. My my irrational musical hatred is um, five string bass. Oh my god! Oh. Yeah, oh, I don't think it's irrational. Like, <clears throat> yeah, you're right. It's it's perfectly rational. <laughs> yeah, it's I was I was talking rational. to a young band uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we were sitting down, we were chatting for a couple of hours, and I was like, "Does anybody at this college play a five string bass?" And they were like, "Yeah, there is. There's one guy." And I was like is he a white guy with dreads? <laughs> and they were like, how did you know? And I was like, because it's always a white guy with dreads that's playing the five-string bass. Yeah. And they're always soloing as well. Yeah. And they've got the extra string to solo with and they mm. just, they look so self-satisfied. What is it they refer to? Trustafarians. Yeah. Like rich, rich Rasta kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, how did it feel touring the debut album 10 years on from, from writing it? Like, could you still, like, I mean, Maybe this is an overly deep question because, like, maybe you don't even think about it. But, like, do you still relate to the songs the same way? Like, is it as fun playing them? Because, like, you're, the thing is, it's not like you reunited after, like, 20 or 30 years. And, mm. like, you're still sort of, you're still in your prime. So, like, mm. surely playing those songs is still... Thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I think playing them, it, like, it brought back an incredible amount of memories. But I wouldn't say that the words I was singing were still meaningful yeah but i wasn't expecting them to be um but it was kind of like yeah like finding your your diary in your memory box from like 10 years ago and reading it and just being like oh like you get it's quite poignant do you, but, but you don't really recognize the person do you ever cringe to some of the lyrics that you wrote early the only the only song that i cringe at is the it's a song called the giantess and the it doesn't have lyrics it's just gobbledygook but we kept it because i was too lazy to write lyrics and it's on the record and people sing along and i don't know what they're singing but they're singing along somehow well i mean like you look at like the arctic monkeys and stuff Mm. like that like they absolutely detest playing bet you hate i bet you look good on the dance Mm. floor yeah i've never understood that and i don't we still play, you know, Everything. our most popular song. I'm mm. always like this, even and it's one of our oldest. And we've played it so many times, but I still every night really enjoy playing it. So it always, I'm always interested to hear why people get sick of songs. I think there's a real purity of uh, the first thing that you ever write, the first couple of songs mm. that you write. That when you've probably like look back at like. Or take, have a second to look back in the career. Normally, the, like expect, like definitely in my case, anyway, the first couple of songs are always my favorite because mm, yeah. there's, there's like it's abandoned. Like, do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, sure. like, you have no thought. There's no record yeah. label. There's, it's just making music for the purity yeah. of making music. When you don't know what you're doing, it's quite a beautiful thing. And then when you figure <laughs> it all out, it's kind of it gets progressively more boring. <laughs> mm. um, is like, do you think there's an, like, an art to recording an album? Like. Is it something that you like have to sit down and think about, or is it just a collection of songs? And if there is an art, this is a hundred questions at once, isn't it? Um, <laughs> who's good at it? I don't think it has to be an art. I think it can be. I think you know the reason an album exists is like 
they had the technology to fit that amount of time on a disc and whatever you do with it is up to you so you have bands that are really artful about it and think about it mm. other bands that just put a collection of songs that are just as good I don't know I don't, I don't think there needs to be a rule for it but on our later albums when it, when it was less spontaneous I think we thought about it a lot more and tried to kind of perfect the art like you look at So Long See You Tomorrow and that's kind of there's a real concept about that and it's mm. kind of cyclical and comes around and mm. um, and our early records are just collections of songs and as you were just saying you know because they're raw and you're not really thinking about them and it's just Jack singing about being a teenager there's something that people connect to with that so I don't know I'm, the answer to your question is I have no idea I don't think it matters really who do you think's good at making them like, like, a, like a great artistic album um, I'm the wrong person to ask I haven't listened to your album in years. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking you'll probably like mention some sort of like Portuguese like yeah. <laughs> boogie with a guy that yeah. nobody's <laughs> ever heard of. <laughs> that Russian Orthodox Church music that I like. You played that on my show. <laughs> yeah, that went down really well actually. Like recently, oh, we, um, cool. Bombay Bicycle Club did a chill mix on the show I do on Radio One. And I got a text from somebody going, are you playing Russian Orthodox something music <laughs> yeah. like when it was going out? That's beautiful. Yeah, that did, that did go down quite well. But thank, <laughs> thank you very much for Everyone that. Everyone Yeah, exactly. What Everyone's was like, this? Oh, yeah, Phil Taggart's show's amazing. It's like, what, I've literally done nothing for the last half hour, so you're just making me look good. So thanks very much for that. Really, really appreciate it. Um, Who makes good albums? I guess there's so many different yeah. things within that. It's like concept, or if they yeah. sound good. There's that band Big Thief that uh, that record oh, last yeah. year, I the second Thief. one. Yeah, and it was all recorded live. Uh-huh. And in doing that, you know, there's a concept. Yeah, and it take years and years to, you know, perfect recording to the point where it sounds that good and playing. And it's all about just being in the moment. Mm-hmm. That's one way of doing it. What was it like playing with Dave Gilmore from Pink Floyd? Like you played the last last show was at Earl's Court mm. before mm. Earl, I yeah. I only know what what Earl's Court was because like I was into wrestling when I was a kid oh, yeah. <laughs> and, it was, and the wrestling that was from London was always live from Earl's Court yeah. WWE or whatever we should have got some wrestlers to come out with we us too yeah. Dave Gilmore and like The Rock and, and the Undertaker yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah you played the last show there and and it was really mm. cool so that like um, I he think he's down here he might be at your show tonight he literally lives oh, across. Really? Across the road and about half. I'll, I'll do. I'll give his address out on the podcast so everybody can go and stalk him. <laughs> I think um, we found out that Pink Floyd were like one of the first shows at Earl's Court, so we thought it'd be nice to kind of bookend it. And yeah, and um, we weren't expecting our fans to have that kind of reaction. We were slightly hesitant that we'd be like Dave Gilmore, and everyone would be like, hmm. But everyone was everybody singing along. Knows, everybody knows yeah. who he is. Oh, they liked yeah. it way more than our stuff. It was the yeah. highlight. <laughs> what song did he play together? We did Wish You Were Here, and he played on Rinse Me Down. You know, he does like the slide guitar thing. Yeah, so he did yeah, like the so slide cool. guitar solo. That's, that's wicked. Like, that's, that's definitely a bit of a... It's probably one of those bucket list ones that you didn't know was a bucket list until it happened, right? I remember just thinking, oh, that was pretty cool. I think Liz, our, the girl that sings with us, was like... Mm. I remember her being like that was the most incredible moment of my life playing with him um, but I think the rest of us were pretty chilled about it I just tried to play the most simple I could so I wouldn't make any mistakes in front of him yeah. just like one note every <laughs> bar and just like kept on looking at my hands I didn't want to like mess up 
didn't have him glare at me or anything. Um, so then, like the obviously, like you know, some incredible albums come out and some great, great memories, and you know, like you you enjoy it, but it obviously gets to the stage where it stops becoming as enjoyable as it did mm. the first time. Well, that's that's why we stopped doing the band yeah, five years ago. Was there was there like a was there like sort of a road to Damascus moment where you were like, oh, I can't do this anymore? No, I don't think there was a moment. I think over 2014, <laughs> where we were on tour for nine months, mm. everyone just grew tired of it. And there's things that, are the you know, they should be the best things in the world, like traveling, playing shows to people, getting to meet new people. And they became, I think, boring to us. And if you're taking things like that for granted, then you really need mm. to, yeah. to stop doing it. Do you get to the point where, like, all of your friends that you've grown up with might have jobs in various different degrees in, in offices or hospitals or whatever and and do you ever get to think going God it would be really nice just to have like a, a 9 to 5 Monday to oh, yeah. Monday to Friday we mm. have a song about it yeah which one well it's in fact you played it thank you very much for for playing it so much it's a good day no, no. Oh, a good day good oh day. yeah I played that last week yeah yeah yeah. thank you for that Um. yeah that's that was a real that's my favorite as well. That's my favorite track on the album, by the way. Oh, I absolutely you. love that song. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the theme of it. Yeah. Are you having an existential crisis too? <laughs> yeah. It seems everyone's yeah. actually just having an existential. I think crisis. I was the day I was listening to it. I think I was fine afterwards. Yeah. You, when you when you listen to someone, <clears throat> when you listen to somebody else sing about having an existential crisis, it very quickly ends your own. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> you, you, you throw your own. Uh, you get a little bit of like catharsis, mm, yeah, and then you're like going, "Oh right, I'm like I'm not the only person who's freaking out about not having a nine to five, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah, having a weird working schedule and having anxiety and shit like that." That's and, the, the best thing about that: watching other people sing it and seeing them hmm. relate to it too, and realizing that everyone's actually in the same boat. We're it's all not fucked, just lads. <laughs> <laughs> but like, like genuinely, it's it, it's a great song. It's a great record. Like, I I, I feel that the it, it it's been. A record that I've like really related to more than a lot, and I listen to a lot of records, mm. but um, maybe it's part of that sort of like turning thirty, early thirties, mm, yeah. uh, kind of. What is your place in the world? Yeah, would that be right? Yeah, exactly. I think it'd be weird for us to keep making records about like just girls and being young and like it's, Motley Crue, or like yeah, exactly <laughs> like Blink One Eight Two or something. Yeah, oh, yeah. It gets yeah. quite depressing after a while. It does. <laughs> what's, that, it does. what's that Matthew McConaughey line? Uh, oh, yeah. I keep getting older, and they yeah. keep staying the same age. Yeah. It's kind of like the Blink One Eight Two motto, isn't it? Yeah. Coming up on season four of the Slacker Podcast, <laughs> Blink One Eight Two. But uh, yeah, I mean, like that, that 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 album is it something that like is it a pri- like a very personal album? Like the I the think. New one? Yeah, I think more so than any of the others. Um, maybe just because it's the least vague. I think I used to be quite, like, I'd use imagery and, and quite loose lyrics as a kind of safety net to not be so hot on sleeve. Yeah. And now I think I have a bit more confidence and not, I'm not scared to just put down how I'm feeling. Um, and... And it's less really about individual relationships and more just, like you say, about your place in the world, mm. which is, uh, those are the kind of thoughts that you do have as you approach that age. And mm. it's cool to to hear people already singing along at, at the shows and people saying, like like yourself, saying mm. they relate to it. Um, 
yeah, it's been it's been really. Let's cool. hope that that eight year old you were talking about doesn't relate to <laughs> yeah, doesn't relate yeah. to it as much. As it was, <laughs> what that eight year old's very jaded. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like the the the, the album has has done. Like you know, it's it's just great. It's great. It's it's a very 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 good record. And it's done very well. Um, has it felt refreshing, sort of coming coming in and recording this after all the time away? Massively. Mm. I think we should say so. All of us felt jaded and wanted to do different things, and we went away and did those things. And coming back, it's just like a breath of fresh air. It's amazing. Yeah. Mm. Everyone's appreciating each other, being on tour. You know, being able to play these songs and. I think everyone realizes that this is, you know, the most amazing thing you could be doing with your time. Have you thought like has the conversation ever come up since since you've been back together, like asking yourself, why did we stop this in the first place? I think we've all like Was that like necessary? Yeah, we've all yeah. realized how how great that decision was mm. because we've all come back a lot more mature, I think. We've grown up. Like being in a band is this bubble that you're in and if it's if it's like that since you leave school i do think it's it's hard to grow up you're like always on tour where people are telling you exactly where to be at what time you know feeding you giving you your little pocket money every day it's there's something quite childish about that yeah and you don't realize that until you step outside and you're just alone in the world and you're like oh okay i've got got some responsibility yeah i think that was an incredibly um healthy thing for us to do what were the, the the projects that you guys did, or what did you work on, like outside of that, to sort of keep yourself going um, in between? Like, like what? Like, I, obviously, I, like I, I know from playing you on the radio, like the Mr. Duke's project. But mm. what did what did everybody else get up to? Um, so Jamie went to university, which is something he's always wanted to do mm-hmm. since we left school. Um, Seren <coughs> played drums with lots of different people. So Jesse Jesse Ware. Um, Billy Martin and I think for him like being on the road but with something that you're not emotionally invested in was like a brand new experience for him and something that he enjoyed because you Mm. just had to kind of show up and do your part and and then that was it there's no baggage (laughs) yeah whereas here you're like worrying if anyone's coming every night and you know how's the show gonna do everything's at stake and then um, I, I made an album under the name Toothless mm. and started doing that. I think I saw, I saw you play; it was really good. Thank you very mm. much. Moth um, Club was it? Yeah, I did yeah. play at the Moth Club. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I kind of developed that project, but I don't know. Like, like a large part of the time off was what we were saying before, just working out if music was the right thing. Because yeah. you know we didn't really make a choice when we left school; it was there for us, and it was the best thing. But I was like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I should do something else. And eventually came back round. To realizing that this was what I wanted to do, but what were your friends and partners like, like your family and and all the rest of it when when you were veering off into like these different projects? Hmm. Did they did they like worry about you not being in the band? Did they did they tell you to start playing music more? Like what? How did they react? I think they were probably delighted to have us around yeah. for a bit. Yeah, we could just, you know we could have proper relationships and settle down a bit. Mm-hmm. Like catch up with our families more often um i'm sure they did worry though they didn't tell us at the time you know it's i guess it's hard seeing people trying to work out what to do next and what's what's going on but there's a certain freedom to it as well like i i I Mm. think like there's there's the two again you're going back to the sort of existential crisis like like i i work 
work freelance. So, so some days mm. I'll be like, wow, I've got so much time to work on this really stupid project that yeah. nobody will give a shit about except me. <laughs> and I'll be happy all day doing it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then there'll be an hour at the end of the day going, fuck, I really should be like doing a job or something. <laughs> oh, it can be crippling sometimes. Definitely. Yeah. But then the highs, I think, you know, pay it off. So mm. it kind of, I think it balances out. Yeah, I, I, like I keep saying to my wife, I'm like, I really want to go and do the nine to five, and she's like, you'll last three days. I have yeah. exactly the same uh, thoughts like so often. I think <laughs> I don't know what it is, but what whatever we're doing, we want, we always want kind of to see what the opposite is. Mm. Like. Yeah, it's the grass is always and greener. Yeah, isn't it? or it happens to me at festivals a lot because we play so many, and everyone's like for for everyone out there it's like this big highlight of the year and it's like the opposite of their nine to five yeah for me i want to leave the festival and just have go to a nine to five and and just be in their shoes and that that would be your festival you'd be sitting there by the water cooler chatting till the rain just chilling just just hanging out (laughs) (laughs) he's like jack i need the spreadsheets on my desk first thing tomorrow morning you're like weekend of my life yes i have to stay up till 11 to finish that Mm. (laughs) Um, yeah so the, the 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 rest of the the year that's it's back to the back to the tour back to yeah it's basically booked out now yeah we've got we go to we do the UK then Europe then America twice then we do festivals you do America twice yeah how does that work what does that mean <laughs> one thing mean we want to do because <laughs> we got so burnt out in 2014 everyone was tired of it yeah we're not going to do like two months going out and just touring so yeah it's a good idea we're gonna come home for a bit and you know actually have normal lives and not yeah. piss our girlfriends off and stuff yeah hmm. yeah you've, you've, you've <laughs> learned how to do it smart now yeah. yeah exactly so we'll do you know west and south and then we'll do north and east and kind of break it up like that as what? opposed to being away for months and months on end that's a good idea check in come home open yeah. a couple of ladders the grass will always be greener stick, would want stick, to go back out stick the feet yeah. up uh, yeah. guys I'll not take up any more of your time because um, I'm sure you've got uh, a lot of actually like, like what, 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 are you, <laughs> what are you guys watching rugby right now isn't it gonna hit the gym yeah, right? yeah. Hit I do some gym. push-ups yeah drink, drink some catering drink some protein shakes yeah, yeah. just bulk up cool well I, like, I mean this is really weird I mean it's too, we're recording this at 2pm before your show and I'm going home to like eat some food and then come back and <laughs> yeah. watch you later do so, some crowd uh, yeah I will, I will I'll do that um, thank you very much for your time guys and thanks for coming on the podcast thank you thank you Finally over and sport is back on Now TV. It's lights out and away we go! Where you can watch Sky Sports, Premier Sports, and BT Sport together and all without a contract. What a fantastic part. So whether there's a day, week, or whole month of action you just can't miss, you can now stream the lot. Oh, it's a fabulous goal! This is your sport on your terms. Search Now TV Sports to find out more. 18 plus content streamed via internet, full terms apply.